Hello everybody and welcome back to the She Can, She Did podcast. I hope you're all well and having a lovely, lovely week so far. If we haven't met yet, firstly, hello, I'm Fee and I'm the founder of She Can, She Did. Slash the one asking the questions throughout this chat. And if you are a regular listener, welcome back and thank you so, so much as always for tuning in. Before we get going on today's episode, I am so, so pleased to say that Tide Business Current Accounts are back once again as the sponsor of the She Can, She Did podcast. A fact that I am very happy about because I've been banking with Tide ever since I switched over to being a limited company at the end of 2018 and have loved them ever since. So feel like I really can go to town talking them up in these intros. If you haven't heard of Tide, it's a business current account dedicated to startups, entrepreneurs and freelancers. You can download the app and set up a business account with them in no more than 10 minutes if you're interested by the way who have in recent weeks set up a small business solidarity series on their website to champion and promote Tide users which has been designed to showcase the various ways in which Tide members are supporting others as we all navigate the coming weeks and months. From free SEO resources and business coaching sessions from fellow business owners to free online fitness sessions and meditation recordings too there are so so many useful offers to take advantage of so please do feel free to have a look at their website www.tide.co forward slash solidarity hyphen initiatives or of course by following the link in this episode show notes Right, back to this episode in which I got to chat to Gemma Harling, founder of the high-performance, vegan, cruelty-free skincare brand with a conscience, that is Lunea, a beauty brand that has quickly become a Sunday evening staple in the Grayson household because, oh my gosh, does the face mask work. I absolutely love it. Now, the She Can, She Did podcast, as you might well know, has been designed to shed light on absolutely everything female founders go through behind the scenes to not just launch, but grow and sustain their businesses to date. And having known Gemma for the past two years and watched her plug away at building not just one, but two businesses in that time, it's safe to say that Gemma Harling is a woman who has pushed through a fair bit. Launching her already award-winning beauty brand precisely one month before she became a mum for the first time and the world went into lockdown a few weeks later, being one of many prime examples of that. From how she rediscovered her sense of self after walking away from a corporate career that in her own words once defined her, Gemma was, prior to becoming self-employed, a senior buyer for cosmetics at AS Watson Group, the world's largest health and beauty retail group, which gave her a whole lot of bargaining power back in the day as I'm sure you can imagine. Why she decided to launch a service-based business before launching Lunea and how she stayed motivated in the face of multiple delays and setbacks with the brand thereafter as well as her approach to diversity and inclusion as a beauty brand in light of recent events relating to the Black Lives Matter movement. I was so so looking forward to finally interviewing Gemma in full and in absolutely no way shape or form did her story disappoint. This is what Gemma had to say. As always ways I hope you enjoy it right roll your shoulders let me get my water I'm recording in my bedroom because literally like I can't find a quiet place in this flat there's banging going on then there's like some weird drain and I'm just yeah it's crazy so I'm like trying to find ledges for everything right Gemma it's Monday morning you haven't got coffee I don't know how but let's have a big chat. In your own words, before we get going, you know, what is your company all about in your own words? And we'll go from there. 
Okay, cool. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's great to speak to you, especially on a grey Monday morning. I couldn't think of anyone better to cheer up my day. <laughs> okay, yeah. So basically, in February of this year, so about three months ago now, we launched a brand called Lunea. It's a skincare brand, and our kind of statement is that we're um, high-performance skincare with conscience. So basically, what this means is that at the heart of the brand is skincare that really works. So Kind of my personal background is that I grew up with troublesome skin, as you might call it. Never kind of really understood properly how to deal with it. Um, and then ironically, actually went on to become a beauty buyer. So was presented loads of different brands to me, more focused on cosmetics and fragrance, not skincare specifically. But, you know, I always had it in the back of my mind that I'd love to potentially launch a brand someday and kind of address the issues that I'd had and had loads of great ideas of how I do that but getting back to the whole like high performance skincare with the conscience the conscience part of it is that we try and do everything as best we can so in terms of we use like eco-conscious packaging so the first product we bought out is amazing <laughs> thank you <laughs> did you get the glow <laughs> I got the glow honey <laughs> it's so good no, and I really mean that I genuinely because I'm always a bit skeptical with skincare, because there's so much noise with skincare that comes with it. This will fix this, this will fix that. So I'm always like, okay, let's let's see what happens. But oh my God, that face mask is incredible. And I'm literally, to any listeners, not just saying that, like, it's amazing, Gemma. I don't know what you've done, but it's like, there's a little miracle in a tube. It's amazing. amazing. That's a great sound, like miracle in a tube. <laughs> Funny you say that, actually, because like a big part of our... Um, overall strategy was that we had to produce something that really worked so over and above any kind of eco credentials or you know our aesthetic or kind of what we want to stand for um the, the bottom line was we knew we had to produce something that worked and we actually did a massive piece of kind of customer listening and a bit of research before we developed the product and that was the number one trait that people were interested in like something like 96 percent of people that we surveyed and we did speak to about 400 people so it's quite a decent sample size 96 percent of those people said the thing that's most important to them is it actually works and I guess it just goes back to your point of how many times have we been bought into skincare or cosmetics that's going to promise you this amazing lifestyle or whatever it might be so we knew that fundamentally that had to kind of underpin what we were going to do and I guess that combined with my background which I'll maybe go on to in a minute but um, I'm initially from a more corporate background and I think that that kind of led me down the path of not necessarily being in the the camp of entrepreneurs that maybe like bootstrap products and kind of get them to market quickly or whatever that we've maybe done something a bit more slowly because we've wanted to work with the best formulators the best manufacturers and really create a product that we can stand behind with confidence which is great but obviously it has its downsides as well because you know it's slower it's more expensive but that was kind of the style that felt right for our business um, and, and luckily now it's finally got to market we've got feedback like you've just given us which is just amazing and it obviously makes it all kind of worthwhile and gives us that confidence that the next products that are in the pipeline are hopefully also going to be just as great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we met quite early on. I think you were the very first midweek mingle. And I remember you were well, obviously the founder at the time introduced yourself as the founder of Lumi. Is it Lumi Consultancy? That's it. Yeah. So you, this is what I find so inspiring about you because you obviously had that corporate career. Then you set up a consultancy 
helping other beauty brands which is obviously a business in itself which ordinarily I would have interviewed you on just that business and then you've used that as a platform to launch the beauty brand so the commitment to get to where you are now the amount of work that's gone into that is well Fiona you say it's inspiring I say it's a bit psychotic um yeah I guess it was a bit of a platform but also in just being totally transparent stepping away from my corporate career and kind of giving up that great salary pension healthcare company car you know I'd kind of worked my way up from the bottom of being a buying assistant and ended up as like head of beauty for who um superdrug so I, I think superdrug are possibly a bit underrated in the UK but um they're part of a global chain called AS Watson, which is actually the largest health and beauty retailer globally. So just in terms of their strategic importance to people like Estee Lauder and L'Oreal, the position I was in was, you know, very responsible in terms of like stakeholder management and kind of strategic thinking. And we accounted for about a third of the UK market for cosmetics value. So kind of the role I was in, you know, it was very much doing that strategic thinking piece and then leading a team to deliver that. So I had a team of 10, for example. And then I think making that step change then to actually starting up from scratch and being an entrepreneur and my colleagues being, you know, my cat, for example. <laughs> I know you I know you would really appreciate that because it's your dogs that you talk to. But um Absolutely. This is this lockdown has been the worst because I don't have them around. I'm just like, oh, I need them. It's- change you know it's very much like I think in one sense you could say oh well you're really super prepared for having for for starting this business you've got all that knowledge and yeah I totally have all the product knowledge and I know how to develop a product and to a certain extent maybe market it a little bit but the layers of support that you have in a corporate role you know you have finance legal IT marketing um you have all of those different functions that if you come up with this great idea you've got all of that support to execute it and I think as soon as you then become an entrepreneur you are the accountant and you do have to learn how to use zero and all those sorts of things and understand what you can and can't claim back back on and all that sort of thing that you you might not necessarily know so I don't really think I'm answering the question here but yeah I think basically Lumi came about because I had intended to launch my own brand at some point but I guess Lumi was a way of having that crutch or that support to still earn some income whilst actually I guess having the freedom and flexibility to start to think about what brand I could develop and you know what what could we do and what would we want to do so it's almost like um I wouldn't say stopgap because I think it was successful in its own right but yeah it was definitely a way of me almost I say maybe not having enough confidence to just go for it straight from the beginning Yeah. And like you said earlier, you know, launching a beauty brand, it's one of the most expensive businesses I think you can do unless you're, you know, launching some AI tech thing, you know, like it's, it really is the amount of testing and to get all the health and safety checks, et cetera, et cetera. That's a lot of money. So I, you know, I can so see why you didn't just leap from corporate straight into it with no kind of support there yeah it's expensive and it's also time consuming because particularly with something like skincare because obviously the levels of testing that have to go into it to make sure it's safe to put on your skin not going to cause irritation and there are things called like compatibility testing to make sure that the product itself won't erode the, the packaging that it's in and stuff like that so there are loads of different accreditations and tests that you have to go through and some of which we've done voluntarily so we're accredited by the 
vegan society we hold the vegan trademark which again you know that was kind of voluntary for us to do but it was really important to kind of back up the credentials of what we wanted to stand for and kind of yeah that external validation yeah and I do think as well that they're the kind of things you know they are the time-consuming things but ultimately they always because it's so easy to skip those steps because you just want to launch but I do always think they're the steps that and all that groundwork and all that time it always pays off in the long run absolutely and also it's like maybe this is part of where my old career as being a buyer comes in that you know I know that when I go and pitch to different retailers if I ever manage to meet them face to face I'm not sure if that will ever (laughs) talk about a bad time to launch a new brand but yeah I mean I I just knew that when I was going to be in conversations with you know large really credible retailers that I wanted to present us as a credible brand and you know not have to make excuses of oh you know because we're a startup we've not been able to do this so of course behind the scenes there's loads of things that we've had to prioritize because we don't have endless budgets but there are certain kind of like core parts of the brand that we just weren't really willing to compromise on Um, and I'm glad that we've kind of took the decision to invest both kind of like financially and I guess from a time perspective into those. Yeah absolutely so just to clarify Gemma like how long was Lumi running for? Um, About two years in total but I'd say the first year in, in fairness it just actually became my main focus and then then I kind of took stock and was like, well, actually, you know, you need to remember the reason you've actually quit this amazing corporate career that you did love, paid really well. You did it for a reason. And it wasn't just to kind of be a consultant. Like I worked with some amazing brands and actually it was, it was a great foundation to actually learn actually from them as well. Like how do you be a startup and what are the kind of cloud-based accounting software that you might need, et cetera. All of those things, you know, I was learning as well as, you know imparting my knowledge to them as well um so I'd say yeah, just to just to jump in there it is so true until you're in that world you don't appreciate you don't appreciate things like how important systems like that and like that insider knowledge is and how much there is to learn it's just a different language isn't it it's so strange a different way of working yeah I'd say I probably did it for about a year full time and then I gradually kind of wound it down and then some of the clients that I had have now just become like business friends people who you might have interviewed on this platform before so yeah yeah, yeah. it's like Jenna and stuff yeah Jenna so Jenna for example she runs a company called Shrine which used to be called the Gypsy Shrine so I first actually met her when I was the senior buyer at Superdrug and we did some um, amazing stuff with her so I then reached out to her once I'd started Lumi Consultancy and we did some work together on that front and then we've now just become like business friends which is amazing so for example the first campaign imagery that we shot we've got all the models on our website and everything she actually did that for us free of charge that's amazing you know this is I could do this so easily for you like blah 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 you've helped me loads in the past so I think the power of networking as you know yourself the power of a good mingle (laughs) underestimate it yeah it's so true and it always comes around full circle I think you can never underestimate a really good value exchange like that it's so so important um okay let's move on to the actual product then launching in February you've already been featured in stylist okay you've already won Gemma pure beauty's global award the winner for best face mask all and you launched in February and we went into lockdown in March I'm just it's it Honestly, it's like, it's amazing. And it's so deserved. What has the process, like, what did you prioritise leading up to 
that launch to make sure that I suppose you started as you meant mean to go on like that, that, that you kind of had the momentum all of that kind of thing talk me through the kind of thought process gearing up to February well I mean obviously this podcast is meant to be really honest and kind of give behind the scenes insight we were actually meant to launch last October Fiona <laughs> <laughs> probably similar to most entrepreneurs you speak to particularly those that are having product produced for them by a third-party manufacturer there were kind of a series of things that a series of delays that were outside of our control and ones that we couldn't have kind of accounted for at, at the manufacturer's end which meant that we didn't have a set date so it wasn't even that we knew it was going to be October to February it was just oh we're not sure we're not sure obviously like really frustrating when you're trying to plan a launch so the other thing to throw into the mix as well is that I actually had my first baby in March so nearly kind of coincided the launch of the baby with the brand so that wasn't the plan either but in terms of making sure we were prepared for launch we didn't have a set launch date which is really challenging particularly kind of being from a more corporate background you would have kind of almost like a set critical path of which you know what you wanted to execute at t minus four weeks or t minus eight weeks or whatever Um, And that's definitely the way that I was used to working. But ultimately, we just made sure that we were really prepared in that we had started to kind of build up a really good community around Instagram. And some people have actually fed back. They're like, oh, your teaser campaign was really great. And I was kind of like, wasn't really that intentional. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't want to tease you for that long. We wanted to get the product out. Um, So we kind of started to make some meaningful connections on there. I knew myself that um, kind of getting some industry accreditation and recognition through awards, that that would be really kind of crucial to, to, to back up what we were saying that, oh yeah, it is a really good face mask. So we'd entered the ones that we could, but on that note as well you actually need samples to enter a lot of these things so there are quite a few different um awards and accreditations that unfortunately we weren't able to kind of participate in for that reason um but i think this you know this is just symptomatic of owning a business there's always going to be delays and kind of setbacks and i think it's how you adapt and evolve with that so one of the things that had come out of it that we hadn't anticipated to do was we ended up doing like a pre-launch about a month before we finally got the product and that was kind of born out of we know now which date we're going to get it so actually let's start to mobilize some of that great um, momentum and energy we've got from our our consumer base or like our potential consumer base so we had a really great pre-launch campaign that was about four weeks before and we were really explicit about you know you're going to get the product in February not at the moment and actually everyone was really supportive of that so so yeah I think we just tried to continue in and do as much as we could without having the product but certainly since the product dropped it's then a lot easier to actually act as a proper business in inverted commas and start sending samples out to people and I think back to the point you made at the beginning like particularly with skincare you know you almost don't believe the marketing hype I think the value of having a product in someone's hand and sampling it to them is you know it's a hundred times more powerful than just saying oh you know we use clinically proven active ingredients well so what everyone says they do (laughs) but you know if you actually try it and have that kind of amazing experience actions kind of speak louder than words with with certain products absolutely and I presume that all of your Lumi audience from the consultancy days moved over with you 
No, I've purposefully kept that quite separate. I mean, obviously, the people that I was speaking to on a regular basis, they kind of knew anecdotally um, to move over with me, but I didn't bring that audience with me because a lot of them were like business owners and they wouldn't necessarily like transfer into being consumers. So you literally, that's amazing then. So is it a case of just growing just through, I'm just trying to think of like the main bulk of the audience then. Is it on currently Instagram and then they go from Instagram onto the website and buy? Like how how are you getting it, you know, into the hands of the customer? Yeah, so our whole um, kind of sales strategy has evolved massively in the face of COVID. (laughs) Most businesses you speak to would agree. So obviously my background is in retail. So our full intention was for the business to maybe like be like 90% in retail, which would include bricks and mortar and also digital. Um, but very much through like third party strategic retailers um, and then maybe like a, a token 10% or maybe 20% that would be direct to consumer through the website. And I think launching in kind of tandem with COVID happening has meant that that's actually become our main focus, our only focus, actually. What, B2C? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, B2C, yeah. And I think, you know, if anything, I'll look back on it and actually be really thankful that it's happened because it's forced us to be really intentional about how we manage that platform and actually treat it as a really credible platform. So we're seeing some really great results through that. Um, And we're doing a lot of things like we've now got a social media ad agency, which is all things that we thought we might do at some point in the future, but it definitely wasn't the, in terms of like the list of priorities, it definitely wasn't near the top of things that we wanted to explode. So yeah, I think it's it's evolved our approach and actually I'm kind of thankful that that's happened. So mm-hmm. um, we've actually realised the potential that, that platform has in its own right. Yeah, definitely. And I presume you'll pick up the conversations with the buyers once we're out of lockdown and, you know, retail starts picking up on the high street, et cetera, et cetera. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, when we thought we were launching in October, we'd already started reaching out to a lot of the retailers in September. And the the method or the, the way that that happens is that you would usually reach out via an email. Probably, you know, 75% of the emails you sent will get ignored. <laughs> Some of them will get through and then they will say, OK, great, we'll send us a sample, um, which is obviously the bit that then we reached a roadblock with. And at that point, we thought we were still getting samples and it kind of never worked out but there are a number of really promising conversations where people had replied like flagship department stores in London and I was like oh my god this is amazing like they want samples like they said the deck looks good all things that I know people on the other end of my old emails of being a buyer would have really felt that kind of elation as well and then I got back in touch with all of those kind of warm leads again in February time and they're like oh actually still like the brand but we don't know what's going on so everything's on pause at the moment and obviously that was really disappointing from our perspective but completely understandable um I think the high street is in in a bit of turmoil as it is and then I think if you overlay COVID on top of that obviously all of the non-essential stores have been closed for a few months so it's all completely understandable but obviously not ideal when you're launching a business yeah absolutely I mean I mean you're I know exactly what you mean like that kind of that elation that one minute and then it's like the most disappointing thing the next it's just all part of the process isn't it the ups and downs let's roll with that then how have you dealt with that whole process of you know that that kind of I'm going like this with my pen up and down that kind of undulating like journey it takes you on because you know it is it's 
every day is different when you're running a business and I'm putting myself in your shoes having those conversations when you get that excited about brands that you might get on board and then it falls through and having to wait and then you know you, you always feel like yeah sometimes it does feel like you're you're constantly waiting and you want it quicker so yeah. How, yeah how do you deal with that I think um I think my former career helped me quite a lot because as a buyer I mean I know everyone has this image that it's going to be just swanning around and you know <laughs> sampling beauty products all the time which you know a big proportion of it was that <laughs> but actually the underlying kind of skill set of being a buyer is that you have to be able to problem solve and there's always going to be thousands of problems that are going to be thrown at you unexpectedly with really tight deadlines so I think that was a really good grounding to kind of not be flustered in a lot of the face of some of the challenges we faced but I think apart from that you know it's having a really good network of people around me so my husband for example he's also in the beauty industry so we can kind of do some of the industry talk and kind of share that insight and advice and as well as being a big support he's also really great at playing devil's advocate so if I'm being some sort of like you know stroppy entrepreneur he can give me that perspective sometimes which is sometimes what you need (laughs) I think I think that's so true there's nothing worse than being surrounded by um yes people you know even though sometimes you want that agreement (laughs) (laughs) so true but in hindsight it always pays well you just have to agree with me just for one night only (laughs) And then I think, yeah, just a wider support network. So kind of I touched on it before, but I think having a network of people in whatever industry you're in that can either be, you know, not a shoulder to cry on, but an ear to listen to, or they might be able to help you out with some connections of, well, you know, this retailer might have said no, but have you tried this one? Or I think definitely having a network is invaluable of people that you can speak to. And then I also think, you know, Overall, I would say I'm quite a positive person. And I think like for any entrepreneur, it's really important to, if you're in those moments of having some bad news or a tough conversation, sometimes you just have to step back from it and say, actually, I'm going to close the laptop tonight and come back to it in the morning. Or I need to compare it to the face of a global pandemic and actually realise that this is not a big deal. The fact that this tube is not the colour that I ordered. I just need to give a sense of perspective that people won't notice it and let's move on. So yeah, I think sometimes you just need a bit of time out and and kind of like recalibrate and reprioritise what you then might want to focus on. Yeah. Um, what has been then the, do this, I suppose, um, from being self-employed right through to now, yeah. so leaving the corporate world, what's been the hardest part about being your own boss do you think Mm. worst day on the job worst day on the job um I mean there have been loads of like small setbacks like that example I just threw in there was a real one that the the packaging that we ordered wasn't actually what we'd ordered um and you know that is a big deal at the time because you've just spent loads of money on it and you've spent months developing it but then I think it's a case of prioritizing like well do we want to reorder it and kind of wait that lead time again or do we press ahead because actually no one's going to notice or it's how what was the difference like how how drastic was that I mean to me massive but I showed my husband again you know this is a great example of having that sense of perspective I opened the packaging and was like compared it to the color match and I was like oh my gosh this is terrible and then I sent him a picture I was like really livid and he was like oh yeah it looks great (laughs) it's a different shade it's not the exact shade of beige that I wanted um so 
so yeah, I think things like that happen to give you a sense of perspective. I think I'm so sorry to interrupt. That reminds me of a time where I had my I had my hair cut. I basically I'm useless with my hair, and I get it dyed twice a year, Gemma. And I remember when I met Connell um, about maybe a month afterwards. I said like, oh, I'm getting my annual haircut, and I had my hair dyed, got my roots done, and bearing my my roots are about two three inches. And um, literally two weeks after that happened, he goes, "So did you get your hair done?" I was like. Yes, two weeks ago. <laughs> Thank you, darling. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for noticing. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, you were saying. So he, um, your husband said they looked great and it was that perspective. Yeah, yeah it's kind of just giving me that perspective. Um, I think probably the biggest challenge we faced overall was just the ongoing delay with the product. And I think that was challenging because we you know usually you're faced with the problem and you can create a solution but because there was it wasn't like in October you'll get the product in February it was like oh you might get it this week or you might get it next week it was like an ongoing um delay which meant it was really difficult to then plan around like a launch mm. or you know plan yeah five it. months yeah, it was that was challenging but yeah I think you just kind of learn to adapt and evolve and that's the nature of being an entrepreneur yeah absolutely and obviously like you said a month later you became a mum for the first time which is I'm not a mum but I can imagine one of the most overwhelming chapters in your life so far yeah and it's great like she's amazing she's about three months old definitely didn't intend to coincide the baby and the launch at the same time ironically we actually tried for about three years to have a baby so we were just so excited when we finally got pregnant and then we're like well you know we'll get the launch of the product out by October we'll give that a few months to bed in then the baby will arrive um and it didn't life will be amazing (laughs) everything's running smoothly (laughs) the reality of it is the product got delayed I was in the factory at 37 weeks heavily pregnant signing off the final samples but I think like any challenge you just kind of adapt and evolve and I kind of couldn't imagine it any other way now and then I think obviously then overlaying a lockdown so we've not seen any family or had any of that support as well it has been an intense few months but an amazing few months and um I think whatever situation you're in you're just adapting evolve and kind of couldn't imagine it any other way so I think we'll probably look back on this time maybe in like a few years time and be like wow that was crazy all of that happened at the same time but at the moment that just feels like the norm yeah yeah and it is so interesting because I've normally interview when when I interview mums I've normally looking back interviewed them maybe a year or two down the line and they talk about those first few months becoming a new mum and about how much they were juggling at the time and how the hell they did it like looking back and it's so interesting speaking to you now that you're in that yeah because that is such a lot of plates spinning at once and I think like just how positive you are it's so inspiring oh thank you just popping on here with a little reminder to say that this episode is sponsored by Tide Business Current Accounts who have created the Small Business Solidarity Series showcasing how Tide members are supporting others with their businesses as we all try and navigate the weeks and months ahead. To browse the offers and discounts available feel free to have a peek at the link to the Business Solidarity Series in this episode's show notes. Um, I mean, you, you have touched upon it and it's weaved its way in. The support you've received, you know, 
outside of the business. So family and friends, former colleagues, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when you launch a business, you know, it can feel sometimes quite overwhelming, or at least it did for me. Sometimes all eyes are on you. You kind of, you know that your pride's on the line. Yeah. So how did, how have relationships with those around you evolved since stepping away from that corporate career right through to now have you seen any get stronger any you know have you distanced what's the word I'm looking for have any got weaker (laughs) that's the opposite to stronger right I can't think of anything better to say so you know um yeah I mean I think the biggest the biggest support anyone can have is the people around them and I guess that extends to kind of your professional network and people you know through roles or you know corporations but also family and friends and I think in terms of like how that might have evolved I definitely I'd say when I first left my corporate role it was definitely quite challenging I don't know if you felt this as well because you've had a similar path to me I felt it was definitely quite challenging in terms of my own sense of self and I didn't realize at the time that there's so much of my own self-identity that was focused around me being a senior buyer at this company and and that you know that all was channeled into how people would speak to me and you know the fact that me personally was so influential on a a third of the whole of the UK's cosmetic sales that does have an impact on you know how valuable your time is and how people are like really dying to have time with you or kind of take you out for coffee or kind of influence you in that way and as soon as you step away from that role all of that gets stripped back and at the beginning it was a bit of a shock to the system because it's suddenly like you've gone from not even realizing that your own sense of self is largely kind of intertwined with this corporate role you do and kind of when you take that away a lot of it initially was actually rediscovering who Gemma is and you know which are the core values that I have that aren't dependent on what my actual job is and I also I think that's a tough one as well when you actually do love the job you're doing because it's or like the industry that you're that you're in. Like I love the beauty industry and I knew like I definitely wanted to remain a part of that. But yeah, things do change as you kind of transition through life. So I think initially that was kind of a bit of self-discovery and self-learning, like how can I be a standalone entity without that role? Obviously, then I did the consultancy and that was like really easy to my friend for my friends and family to understand because it was pretty similar and, you know, continued to go and work in like satellite work and corporate offices and things like that. And then I think the, the most difficult thing for people to understand was then when I kind of took a break on all that. And in the background, I was obviously working on product development and developing the brand and everything. But outwardly, it basically looked like I was just working from home. And I use the term working in inverted commas. So a lot of my friends, you know, I did become the butt of everyone's joke for about a year of, oh, you know, what's the latest on Judge Rinder today, Gem? Like, you know, because you work from home every day. (laughs) And obviously that's, again, evolved since the brand's launched and those friends have all been so supportive and they're like oh amazing what you've been working on is phenomenal like you were doing something for like over a year and I'm like yes I was yeah I wasn't just watching loose women <laughs> that's been amazing validation but yeah I think at each stage it's kind of evolved slightly and the unwavering thing is that I've got a great kind of network of friends and family around me and also kind of like industry connections and I guess on that note whatever industry you're in it's always going to be a a, quite a small industry and my advice to anyone would be well two pieces really one always be really nice to people like you might be in a position of power one day and then kind of the bottom feeder the next day and it's really important that you 
always kind of treat people equally and have time for people and you know that definitely has played into action for me where I've kind of done favors for people in the past or given them time or mentorship and then that's come full circle and then the other piece of advice I've actually just forgotten so maybe you're gonna have to (laughs) I did that on a live um, Instagram thing the other day I was like I've got two really great points (laughs) made one of them and then I was like uh (laughs) the other one was great but (laughs) but so I was just like what you can just edit that that'd be fucking (laughs) yeah um no, it is so true. And I honestly, as you were saying, that couldn't have related to it more. I remember when I stepped away from my old role and she can, she did had literally nothing. And someone asked me, it was a neighbour came around and introduced herself in the flat and she was the deputy head of a, a school around the corner. So I'm like instantly like, okay, she's doing all right. And, um, and then she asked me what I did. And I remember the conversation so well. I was like, well, I used to produce um, conferences around the world for a publishing house. And now I do this, um, um, I kind of do this, uh, this thing called, and I was just like, what, yeah. um, like, who am I? Like, I'm not that person anymore. And it was so, it was such a slap in the face realisation that I needed to kind of own this new role. Completely that. And I guess it's like, having the confidence to be able to articulate the fact that you're, you know, CEO of this amazing platform that connects and supports women <laughs> rather than, well, you know, I kind of sit at home and try and get interviews with people. Yeah, yeah I kind of uh, drive around the country and uh, <laughs> like have a chat. <laughs> you have to stick with me on this. It's going to be great, but at the yeah. moment I can't articulate how great it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, though, and I do think it boils down to just being able to, however uncomfortable it might feel at times within those conversations hold your nerve and just trust that kind of drive within you to prove a point like like you know one day I won't feel like this and there will be something at the end of this I can show for myself but I think it's it's just holding your own bit isn't it that that's I think puts a lot of people off yeah it's having that inner self-confidence and back to that point you know when I did finally launch the brand the amount of outpouring of support that came out from people, you know, friends, family, but also, you know, old connections that I might not have spoken to for maybe like five or 10 years. And they're like, you're going to nail it. You're absolutely prepared for this. You're going to be amazing. Like to the point where I was like, really? Oh my gosh, am I all these things? Like, can I live up to your hype? And I guess all that's based on like former reputation and people don't forget if you've made them feel good or you've done a good job. And yeah, there was kind of like a, a really nice groundswelling of well done and congratulations and you're going to smash it which kind of makes it all worthwhile gives you that confidence boost yeah absolutely going forward then plans going ahead once lockdown is over yeah you know what what is it just a, a week into june where do you want this brand to go like what's the big vision given that you know beauty it is competitive but it also there's a whole lot of people out there that buy beauty products that the target audience the reach is huge so what is the the big vision yeah definitely like it's a really competitive market but um I guess for us we wanted to stand at the crux of producing amazing products that actually work but do so in trying to have a positive impact and that's kind of twofold so part of it is being eco-conscious and trying to have practices within the business that reduce our impacts on the planet and um, 
try and be a bit more eco-friendly you know I kind of hate that term but bring people on the journey of that with us but I also think there's the other aspect of what we're trying to do in the business and that's to have a positive impact on people themselves and you know I kind of know the the downside of having problems with skincare and how that can link into other things so a, a big part of what we stand for is in one of our products we've got a bit of an affirmation as you open it and it says be your own muse and it's all around like celebrating the power of yourself and you know I don't want to get too kind of California here on you although I am watching the OC at the moment <laughs> oh my god I love the OC the OC was so good <laughs> brilliant honestly um but it's very much around like you don't have to look to other people their beauty ideals like you can celebrate that within yourself and we just want to create a brand that allows you to kind of give you those tools to you know be who you want to be effectively so Mm. it will continue within skincare and we do want to kind of move it into other areas in the future as well but we want to do so in a really positive and kind of inclusive way yeah and that falls in quite nicely with you know we're we're recording this a week after I I suppose the Black Lives Movement really has kind of brought to, it came to a head last week, didn't it? And it's at the, you know, at the forefront of everybody's minds at the moment. The beauty industry obviously came under fire, rightly so, for not being inclusive. But Lunea from day one has had inclusion, diversity at its core, hasn't it? And is, I mean, how, how conscious a decision has that been? Um, well, obviously, my kind of background and history is within beauty. So I've kind of seen that dialogue and that narrative evolve as it has the retailer that I did work for Superdrug was actually really proactive in putting that at the heart of our strategy and what we wanted to be known for so um, whilst I was on cosmetics we created a campaign called Shades of Beauty which was all around championing and and canvassing the, the large like beauty conglomerate to actually have a wider shade range so typically in store you might have a shade range of maybe like eight to ten different shades which are predominantly focused around the the beige middle and you know for years we'd kind of said we need them at both ends of the spectrum on either side of those kind of shades and it was always no those shades aren't commercial they don't sell and you know we just ended up saying that isn't good enough so we had a massive campaign called shades of beauty that was all around um increasing those shade ranges and it was actually before Fenty Beauty came out with their groundbreaking 40 shade range so you know I I think that was a great thing to be part of at the time so that was kind of like 2015 2016 but I think there's always more that everyone can do so that was definitely a conscious decision when we were devising Lunea to to ensure that we were really inclusive in terms of the models that we cast in our campaigns and the kind of influencers and content creators that we work with but I also think it's not just about what we're doing personally as a brand which I'm quite confident about it's also what pressure can we apply to other brands that we work with to also share those values and ensure that that message continues to be kind of perpetuated throughout the beauty industry and of course there's more that everyone can do on that front and you know we we definitely have a lot of work to do yeah yeah I love that I I was um on a webinar last week and I think for me it was like that wake-up call the difference between not feeling racist and being actively anti-racist and like like you said challenging other brands looking internally what more can I be doing what haven't I been doing how do you address that and I do think yeah I think you're setting a really amazing example already but it is it's that commitment isn't it to constantly 
checking in and just am I what more can I do what more can I do yeah exactly and I think it kind of goes back as well to um our view on like the environment and and that sort of thing like I listened to this amazing podcast probably about two years ago now with Stella McCartney it's on the business of fashion podcast and she was talking about how she has tried to bring consumers on the journey with her and speak about you know she's like obviously vehemently like anti-fur veganism like you know not using traditional leather using vegan leather and um, but she talks about doing that in a in a positive narrative and actually rewarding people for their change in behavior rather than like chastising them on the a thousand yeah. things they could have done better and that kind of you know that was really instrumental at the time when I listened to it and kind of forming the way that I wanted our business to run like if we want to make change kind of be the change and actually let people come on that journey with us and make them feel good about what they are doing rather than kind of penalizing them for the many things that they're not yeah I absolutely love that that's such a nice way of putting it last question then before we move on to the statements that is what has running a business taught you about yourself um I think it's taught me that I can be quite resourceful on some of the smaller details like you know I I already I knew I kind of had the um beauty side of things nailed so that was great but there's so many different aspects to running a business that you wouldn't even ever imagine so I think it's taught me that I can be really resourceful and I guess it's just reinforced the fact that having a a personality that kind of welcomes input from other people and support from other people is a really good thing to have Um, and to try and let people help you like people really want to help And to try and let them do that. I think that's a a great thing. That's been a great help. Yeah, love that. Okay, final statements then. You've kind of, that will tie in quite nicely with this. Being my own boss means? Um, I think for me, it means having the freedom to be able to create a business that instigates the change that I want to see, like within the world, within the business, and, and even on a personal level, it kind of helps me craft the lifestyle that I want to have. For me, that all wraps up in one word, which would be freedom. Yeah, love that. When it's not quite going to plan, my advice would be to... Um, take a breath, realise it's not the end of the world um, and try and put it into context and, you know, sleep on it or maybe have a little glass of wine or something. <laughs> little, big, it's fine. Um, if I could describe myself as a businesswoman, I'd say that I am. I would say that I am inclusive and that I you know kind of want the support of people around me and want to help others yeah love that if I could go back to day one of my business I would tell myself I'd say do your homework um prepare really well and yeah use your contacts yeah and very lastly Gemma I want my legacy to be that we help spread positivity amazing thank you (laughs) love that thank you so much honestly I feel like Monday morning podcasts are the one they always set me up for the week I feel always really inspired I hope I'm not going to ruin your week (laughs) (laughs) 
thank you so much for listening to that episode. If you have a minute to spare and enjoyed it, of course, it would mean so much to me if you could please rate the podcast below or leave a review if you fancy being extra kind, as apparently it helps to give the series a little boost and helps other female founders and aspiring business owners to find it. For now, though, enjoy the rest of your day and please do look out for next week's episode. Thank you.